You're listening to Apolitical Politics, where we discuss the ins and outs of Oregon politics without being political. I'm your host, Dwayne Stark. Today's episode is Healthcare Lobbying with special guest Josh Ballack, who's a registered lobbyist in the state of Oregon. Hi, Josh. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Representative? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm excited to hear a little bit more about you and what you do. Of course, I've known you for a while, but it'll be good for listeners to be able to hear some of the details. So if you will, will you give me a brief background of who you are, what you do, and how you got there? Sure, uh, no problem. So uh, uh, I'm Josh Ballack. Uh, currently, I am the uh, Vice President of Health Policy for All Care Health. Um, that is a group that takes care of folks on Medicare and Medicaid uh, down here in Southern Oregon. So we uh, we serve uh, members in Jackson, Josephine, Curry, and extreme Southern Douglas County. So a little bit mix of uh, urban center with Medford with pretty rural communities all throughout. So um, how I ended up here uh, is a fun little story. So I was a college student, graduated political science, uh, wanted to go to the School of Political Management back in Washington, D.C. At, at George Washington. And uh, I had a little time to kill because they were just waiting for our, uh, to get a, uh, approved and ended up working as a volunteer for one of the most targeted state Senate races in the state, uh, a moderate Democrat named Joanne Berger, who represented the, um, the southern and central Oregon coast, which is actually where I grew up. And so uh, ended up on this campaign, ended up on the staff and met actually a multitude of different like political leaders all throughout the place. And I kept telling them like, well, I want to come back and run races in the state. And they were like, well, you don't need more college. You need experience. And so uh, we ended up barely winning the race, which was pretty remarkable. And I ended up getting a job for then uh, Senate majority uh, leader, Kate Brown. Um, and the Democrats had finally gotten, gotten elected. And then I got hired to do outreach coordination and press releases and stuff like that and media relations for the Senate caucus. And really what my main job was to help more rural Democrats get good local uh, PR and, 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 and tell the story about how they were actually engaging in the community and how bills were actually impacting the local areas. So as a result, I ended up traveling all throughout the state, really trying to like, you know, get to know a lot of different smaller communities. And then I kind of bounced around, ran a bunch of campaigns, ended up working for Treasurer Ben Westland, he ended up passing away, and when he passed away, I needed to find a new job. And my best friend was working at a lobby firm, and I had never wanted to lobby, never had an interest in lobbying, but I had a, a kid and a wife, and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. And so ended up uh, taking a job as a lobbyist at a contract firm up in Portland, and they just happened to be representing these kind of doctor-owned groups that were taking care of folks on Medicaid, and I knew a little bit about Medicaid policy because of some town halls and stuff I had done. And the next thing I knew, I was in back rooms, like really redesigning Medicaid for the state of Oregon, once again, kind of being the scribe, but really learning a lot of these types of moving pieces. And, and yeah, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And next thing I knew, I was kind of one of the, the leading uh, lobbyists in, in the state when it came to dealing with um, Medicaid policy and p particularly Oregon's unique Medicaid policy. And after five years of doing that, I, you know, had another kid and and wanted to have a, an opportunity to uh, spend more time with with the with my two daughters. And so I uh, got an offer to come and work for All Care Health down here in Southern Oregon. 
you know, didn't really have anybody who I knew down here. I just knew All Care was doing some really exciting, innovative things. And they weren't afraid to say yes, which was really intriguing to me. And so I got the family moved down here. And the next thing I knew, I was an in-house kind of lobbyist for the All Care Health Corporation. So that's, uh, that's how I ended up where I'm at. You began working campaigns. Now you work healthcare lobbying. Looking back on the two, which one do you enjoy more? They, they are, I enjoy both of them, but for different reasons. So the way that I always try to explain, uh, everybody in politics really has two kind of hats that they wear. They're either a political hack or a policy wonk. And, you know, and, and that political hack is kind of like that guy that's out there who's, you know, running for votes and really kind of like, you know, driving the, the, that, that, that kind of political conversation. And then you guys, the policy wonk folks who like kind of love that, um, that little idiosyncrasies of, of like making sure that the policy actually is impacting people in the right way. Um, and they kind of compete. Sometimes they line up, but a lot of times they compete, right? You kind of like have to balance it. I would say I'm, Oh, before I got into into politics, uh, into the lobbying world, I was probably 75% political hack and 25% uh, policy wonk. Uh, probably 60-40 policy wonk now. Um, but if I had to, uh, for sheer enjoyment, I guess I've never had as much fun as I had working campaigns. But for actually impacting people, I, you definitely get more uh, impact out of being on the policy side of stuff. So. I'm, I think probably for the greater good of everything, probably being the policy side is the, is the part that I like the best. I would imagine a lot more stability with the policy side in lobbying than who knows what's going to happen on this campaign and whether or not I have a, a job next time around. So I'm glad you landed where you did, just so you know. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, I've, uh, so does my wife. So. <laughs> That's good. That's but, good. Yeah. Yes. Now, I'll come back in just a minute to the idea of being a healthcare lobbyist, specifically to healthcare. But before I do, just in case anyone's not familiar with it, in Oregon, we talk a lot about CCOs. Can you give just kind of a high level, what is a CCO and why should anyone in Southern Oregon or Oregon care? Yeah, Oregon has, so for when, when folks who are in Medicaid, so this is anybody who makes 138% of poverty or below. So family, uh, the way to think about this is if a family of four is making $33,000 or less a year, they end up being covered, their medical care ends up being covered by the state through what's known as the Oregon Health Plan. Uh, Oregon was one of the first in the nation to really kind of like uh, you know, modernize it. With it. We're renowned uh, nationwide still as kind of a leader in Medicaid policy. Today, about one, almost, I think almost one third of Oregonians are covered through the Oregon Health Plan. So, and, and in a county like Josephine County, it's closer to 40%. So well, many, if not you, many people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, their health plan, their health insurance is actually ran through the Oregon Health Plan. Coordinated care organizations are the contractors who actually administer that benefit at the local level. So what we do is we have care coordination teams, we have contracts with local providers to make sure that people can get access to the health care that they need. And then we also make sure that people are getting services wrapped around them as they need them, especially if it's high or morbidity type of things that need to happen. So a good example would be somebody who is experiencing chronic diabetes who are having issues with 
with their diet, we not only make sure that they're getting their A1Cs checked and making sure it's managed, but then we can work with the dietitian to make sure that they're eating properly and so that they can just maintain their, their diabetes and not, not have, you know, things that end up driving them to the ER, which, you know, there's no more expensive, less effective place to get healthcare in America than an ER. So our job is to really try to keep people healthy and um, maintain their health. And if they do get unhealthy, get them back on the right track so that that doesn't happen again. So that is basically we are covering a third of the population of Oregon right at the current moment. And then, yeah, and then just really kind of wrapping care around folks to make sure that they're staying healthy. That's why that's why it's so important. And then third, a third leg of it, it is also critically important to the economy and local local healthcare systems of many, many rural communities. So like Josephine County, if you include Medicare and Medicaid, these government payers take up over 70% of, of, a, of a rural community's payers. So making sure that you've got good contracts and good things in place to be and payments for those providers are what keeps those providers like your nurse practitioners, your the primary care doctors or specialists in that community. If you don't do it well, they will leave and then go to another place. And then, then you've got healthcare deserts, which create all sorts of problems as well. So we, uh, these, these coordinated care organizations, the CCOs have massive impact on communities uh, one way or another. Obviously this upcoming statement here is overly simplified, but a CCO coordinated care organization is essentially if someone has organ health plan, it's the organization that coordinates their health care. Yeah, oftentimes people miss that. And I know even the other day, I appreciated because I hadn't really thought much about this and you enlightened me, I appreciate that, that if someone has an organ health plan and they are needing to make a, a call, you know, about Medicaid, so like we've had that coverage for our foster children and our children who have guardianship and adoption and so forth, but it was appropriate for me to reach out directly to that coordinated or that CCO rather than calling Medicaid directly. And man, I have to tell you, being able to do that was fantastic. And I, here I've been shouldering a burden for a couple of months and struggling with something that they solved in like two minutes. So if, if people are listening and they have organ health plans and have not reached out and gotten to know their, their CCO, by all means, please do. Now, CCOs, they're regional, correct? How's that split up throughout the state? Yeah, so it, it, they, it kind of happened organically. The original idea came about back in 2011. There were, there were kind of doctor-run or owned or, or individual groups that kind of said, hey, we take care of this service area. We'll just go ahead and take care of that area. So for like all care, we served Josephine Jackson, Curry County from the, the, a lot of the doctors and nurse practitioners that own our company. They said, well, we'll just stay in the same service area. Then, and then, you know, there was a group up in Eugene called Trillium. They just stayed in Lane County, right? So that was, that was their service area. That's kind of what they felt comfortable with. But you also have people who kind of like moved from like into medical centers. So like the, the way I like to describe it is the extreme Southern uh, Douglas County butts up against Josephine County. But the people who live there, they don't drive north into kind of that county's like main place, which is Roseburg. They actually drive south into a different county to get their medical care. So we kind of said, hey, can we serve that area? Because most of these folks are actually driving into where we have contracted contracts with the providers, not necessarily the Roseburg CCO. 
the lines aren't straight around the county. It's more kind of business, kind of like the way business flows and, and, and communities kind of flow in and out of like urban centers and access, you know, groceries and jobs and stuff along those lines. So that's kind of how it's them, you know, it's, and some are pretty big, you know, just because of geographic areas. So like, uh, or geographic just uh, and population mix. So like Eastern Oregon CCO, which is, uh, I think, don't, I'm pretty sure it's 17 counties all in one CCO versus like, you know, Trillium, uh, when they started, they were just Lane County. So, and usually they're about 50, 50 to 100,000 was kind of the, the number for most of the CCOs across the state. There were 16 of them. The, what, there is the Portland Metro one, which is larger, but that's, that's in essence kind of how it broke down. I remember in oh, 2015, I was having a conversation with the late Senator Bates and God rest his soul. And he made reference to CCOs being an experiment. Do you think that they've moved beyond the experiment? And what would be, what's the, the telltale sign for other states of, hey, this has been successful, you should try it? Or is it still an experiment? This is a great question and one that I wish more legislators would ask. Is it moved beyond an experiment? Yes, it has moved beyond an experiment because we have data now that shows CCOs do two things. They have flattened the cost of care or the growth of or the cost of care. So we have an artificial cap at 3.4% rate of growth increase. Nationwide, at the current moment, I think it's the medical inflation somewhere around seven to ten. So, like we 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 grow slower than the rest of the country. Secondly, we've seen predominantly in metrics that we uh, are incentivized to do significant increases in those things. We've seen ER utilization statewide go down exponentially. We've seen immunizations and uh, preventative things around dental sealants and things like that increase exponentially. So we are really seeing a lower cost and an increase in in a lower cost in the meantime with an increase in uh, um, services and outcomes. So that that to me is like the sign, okay, something big is happening here. Now, the interesting thing that I would, if Senator Bates were here, I'd, and I'd love to have this conversation with him, is that the but the thing that makes the CCOs so really great is that they were they were designed to constantly be experimenting in their local communities, and so the idea is that you give CCOs the ability to be innovative at the local level, and if you can do that, then they can figure out ways to be able to fill the needs of the community. Because, I mean, the difference between the the difference between Medford and Brookings is the same difference between Medford and Portland. I mean, they're just, they're just such different communities and different op ecosystems and different resources and, and, and needs that you have to like really kind of micro target it because at the end of the day, healthcare is not something you can just kind of say design in a, in a you know, and say, this is exactly how you provide healthcare for everyone. It, that's human beings are too complex. Communities are too complex. You got to be able to meet, people where they're at and then build the system around what those people in that community need. And so I think that that has been the great thing is that we've gotten good outcomes by giving local communities the ability to control and experiment and do what's best for their communities. So it's, it's kind of like, is it an experiment? Not necessarily as a system, but 
it's the ability to experiment that has allowed us to actually be able to to be successful. Have other states attempted to mimic what Oregon's done? Yeah, kind of. It's you know we've uh, that's the the interesting thing is every state's always kind of a little different because of where they're set up. I think you've got folks like Washington who have tried to kind of mimic what we're doing, but they've really built it on t- like the superstructure of the healthcare payment system kind of separate outside of investing in like the non-medical health related things. So like housing, food, um, transportation, job education, things and those types of things, they've kind of left them bifurcated versus in Oregon. We've tried to uh, originally, we really tried to like integrate them into all one system. And the idea, and the and I, I personally like that a lot better because then what you've got is you don't have one silo saying, well, this is my job, you do the other stuff. It really says, nope, the health of somebody is so much more broad than just do you get access to healthcare. In fact, uh, according to most studies, it's only that's only 10% of a person's health. The other 90% are your built environment, your genetic, your job. You know, those are the things that really impact your your health. And so if you have a healthcare system only looking at do you get access to healthcare, you're only really looking at 10% of that person's health. And so uh, integrating it throughout the entire system is important. But other states are starting to go down that road. But Oregon really, I'm not kidding. We were we were probably 10 years ahead of everybody else. Uh, Peter Courtney likes to say, and I, I totally feel his line, Oregon is either the first or the only for everything. So... Got it. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes not so good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Let's switch from talking about CCOs to healthcare huh? lobbying. So, what is a healthcare lobbyist, and what's unique about lobbying in the healthcare industry compared to other types of lobbying? Healthcare lobbying, in particular, is is an insanely complex thing because healthcare touches so many different parts of the of of just the systems we live in has a massive impact on economy, has a massive impact in, in, in how colleges are put together to be able to put, you know, the right people in the right spots. It has a massive impact on, on how do you administer these types of, of programs. It just is a, it is a, a very complex ecosystem that is constantly changing. And I, uh, I had a client of mine when I first started as a lobbyist and I was kind of dumped in the deep end. And he said something to me that I've, I've, I've stuck with me forever, which is you have to be in healthcare policy for five years before you can have an intelligent conversation. I've been doing this for 12 years and I still struggle on having like uh, this type of stuff. I, I'm not kidding. I learn something new about healthcare policy every day, still after 12 years of doing this stuff. But, and I mean, I'll learn something so mind, you know, mind blowing that it literally will change my perspective once a month. So you just, it, it is such a large thing. And, and, I, and I will compare it to when I worked in the treasurer's office. I could, I could probably go back and go work at the treasurer's office. I haven't worked there since 2010. And it'd take about five months for me to kind of get caught back up because essentially the entire treasurer's office and the financial policies of the country are all based off of ledger reporting. And so you can kind of figure it out and kind of be like, okay, well, this is how these things kind of work. And, you know, there's probably topics du jour that are, 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 you need to get up to speed, but you could jump back into it pretty quickly. If you take two years off in healthcare policy, 
you literally will have to kind of start back over because it has changed so much in that two-year window that you literally are kind of starting back at square one. So I think that that is the one really unique thing about healthcare is that it is constantly changing and it is always evolving. And it, it, it is just, you, it is so complex that it, it, you can't, you almost can't leave it. <laughs> You're kind of stuck in it and you can't part-time it. You kind of have to be all in or you just, you won't be able to really understand it. I'm thinking about how challenging that has to be as a lobbyist to communicate some of that to legislators. If you think about, you know, Oregon's legislative system set up to where, you know, your Senate is rotating every four years, every two years, but there's members, their term is four years. The House has roughly at least a third turnover almost every two years. So if it takes five years to have an intelligent discussion on healthcare policy, how do you in a 15 to 20 minute meeting with a freshman legislator who may have been put on a budget committee dealing with healthcare, how do you communicate those things to a rookie? You are asking the exact right question. Um, and it's something that I struggle with every day just to, to kind of like it. I think, I think the problem is that uh, you can't right in a 15 minute thing. You cannot get somebody up to speed. It's not. So, we, we do, you know, the trick of the trade is you do one of two things. You either are having a lot of pre-conversations with people, just like, you know, wherever you can like talk to them of like, hey, this is kind of like the global kind of things that are going on here. And this is what it is to kind of give them at least kind of a, okay, this is, these are at least the players. And this is what the chessboard kind of looks like. And then when you're in that meeting, stuff, I mean, you are literally hyper-focused on usually one small policy. You know, and if you kind of explain it, you know, it's, it's great. If you've got really easy talking points and, and people can kind of understand like uh, a, a simple problem, like, you know, this is a, here's a provider who isn't able to do this thing. This bill changes this as they'll allow them to do it. You know, that's, that's pretty easy to understand. It's a pretty, pretty basic kind of thing. And then you're okay, fine. I like that or not. The problem with those small meetings though, is a lot of times there's a global kind of impact that people are, you just don't have time to kind of explain, well, if you do this, this is, you know, impacts this thing. And then here's the bank, you know, the impact does it of that. So sometimes you try to have those conversations, but most of the time, you know, you just kind of say, Hey, you know, use a lot of shorthand and you really kind of focus on one specific thing, you know, big, big systems changes and stuff like that tend to happen. If they are, if they do happen when you've got leaders who've been there for a long time uh, or have a, an insane amount of expertise. So I think what what we kind of lucked out with when the coordinated care organizations uh, happened, it was two things. One, you had Governor Kitzhaber come back as governor. That's because we we started TCOs in 2011. Uh, so Governor Kitzhaber had just gotten reelected to his third term after being out of the office for eight years, I think. And so he, you know, he came back. And then we also had Senator Alan Bates, who had been intimately involved inside of these things, where he could, he was kind of the de facto leader, where he had been thinking about this stuff for quite some time where his caucus really trusted him. And they said, yep, all right, we might not understand the details, but we trust Bates, so we'll, 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 follow, we'll follow him, like we're ready. And then you also had in the House a 30-30 uh, House, which really worked out great, so 30 Democrats, 30 Republicans, because it forced everybody to be in the middle. You couldn't really go running one side or the other. And so as a result, you had a very moderate bipartisan solution to essentially, and the, the way I would describe it is, we agreed to expand Medicaid 
to more people, but done through a public-private partnership with a lot of savvy, sustainable, long-term kind of Republican concepts embedded inside of it. So it really was a, a bipartisan concept, and that is what really changed changed that direction. And that's how you can do big health care policies. But you kind of have to have everything lined up perfectly to be able to make that happen. What words of advice would you give to someone who is considering going into healthcare policy or running for office for the first time? Two separate questions. Uh, health, if you if you want to get involved in like healthcare policy, I, the first thing I would just ask your, yourself is, do you love to learn? If you do, if you're naturally curious, you, you'll thrive inside of this. The second thing is, do you also hate being bored? Because then you will also thrive inside of this because you are never bored. But you also got to kind of like hold a lot of thoughts in your mind at the same time. So, you know, people with ADHD, I'm sure probably a great healthcare lobbyist. But yeah, that that's, I think you have to love to learn in order to be successful. You know, if you're running for office and you're kind of like, oh, I want to be involved inside of like the healthcare policy kind of world. A lot of times what we see are people who are like their providers. So like Senator Alan Bates is a good example. Like he showed up and he was like, I'm a doctor and I've got all this stuff figured out because I take care of patients on the ground level. And what he figured out really early was that, okay, like, A, this is a real political game. Like, just because I'm a doctor, nobody's going to listen to me. But B, he started to understand, oh, this is how the financing works. This is how the money flows. This is why there's a lot of broken things that are going on because they're being incentivized to do these types of things. How do we change these incentives? So it's really if you are like a provider or you're working around providers, it's being able to take two steps back and say, okay, what's that big system look like and how do I – how do I change the system to incentivize the things that we want for outcomes and then making it easier for those providers to be able to help your members or, or your, your patients, right? That would be the two pieces of advice. But I always tell everybody the first time anybody says, oh, we're going for office. I'm like, that's awesome. What does your significant other think about this? If they're aboard, great. But if they are not, don't do it. <laughs> like, that's a big I agree. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Josh, this has been enlightening. I appreciate this time. Do you have any final thoughts that you would want to share with listeners? No, I, you know, and I, uh, I just want to say I, uh, um, I'm for the record, you are one of the really great legislators that I really enjoyed working with because you really did come at things from a solutions perspective. Uh, I don't believe all legislators necessarily, I think they, a lot of times they come in thinking, oh, I've got the world, I I know exactly how to solve the world's problems. And you, you were never that person who was, who thought that, oh, I've figured everything out and I'm just going to ram stuff through. You really weren't afraid to ask those questions, to be curious, to, uh, to, to really say, okay, I agree with your goal. And I, I, I want to support it, but tell me what step two and three and seven and 10 are. And you leaving the building is, uh, you know, it, it, it leaves a hole. And, and I'm hoping whomever comes in to replace you uh, and, and these new legislators coming in really do follow that example going forward. Because it's at the end of the day, that's how you actually get good public policy. That's how you actually do. Uh, it's, the, it's that process of asking those hard questions and really looking long term and really getting as many voices in the room. So. I just want to say thank you for your years of service and and you really 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 were an example and I hope uh, I hope the caucus uh, and then everybody uh, uh, lean on you on on how to how to become a, a better legislator in the future. 
Thanks for listening. For more apolitical politics, check out apoliticalpolitics.org or duanestark.org.